It is the Crib Room Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us as we talk about what's going on in a bit of a transport environment at the moment. And the team who are joining us today, CMX Global, they move big things and they move them from one side of the planet. They can move it around, I suppose, the other side of the country. They can move it around the other side of the world. But they're here to tell us a little bit more about that one today. And we are very privileged to have Kira Seely join us and also Chloe Breitag as well. Ladies, thanks very much. It's our first podcast dual host. So thanks very much for jumping on board. No problems at all. Us, <laughs> now, Kira, first of all, to you, probably a bit about your role and, and your global account manager role. Tell us a bit about how your role works within CMX Global. Sure. Um, so a bit of background on myself. I've been with the company since I was about 18 and I'm 30 now. So oh, a long time. Um, I've obviously started from an admin kind of role and worked my way up through the business that way. Um, my current position we were just joking about how it doesn't really capture everything that I do day to day. Um, I found, find myself at the moment being more involved with the back of house running of the business. Um, but I also take a special interest in project cargo movements. So chartering of the vessels and moving really big packages of the big gear around the world. Well, we're going to break that down shortly um, and, and talk a bit about how you do work with different industries and different commodities as well. And Chloe, your role in particular, operations, uh, just tell us a bit about how that works amongst the CMX Global family. Okay, so similarly to Kira, my title probably doesn't capture um, the role that I do have here at CMX. Um, we are a smaller team, so it's a bit um, all hands on deck. So my uh, background in the industry is I was straight out of school um, into a company which Grant Seely, the owner of CMX, owned at the time. So I've known um, the Seely family for um, a very long time now. So um, my role really on a day-to-day basis is to ensure the um, office is running smoothly and um, dealing with any issues that come up and any problems that we have between the team as well as making sure that our um, our jobs are being done correctly and we keep that steady flow of new business coming through the door um, and um, keeping everyone happy, basically. We'll come back to you shortly, Chloe, but Kira, first of all, I suppose talk us through the process because you do move a lot of big stuff and and that gets moved from from perhaps one side of the, the state to the other. It could be one side of the country, the other, one side of the world to the other. Talk us through, a client gives you a call, says... Kira, I'd like to move this great big excavator from somewhere along the, you know, the Queensland coast and I want to really move it into China. Tell us how that works at the moment for you. Yeah, sure. Um, so with our operations, um, the way that we kind of divide up the business is if there was an inquiry like that that came along, that's bread and butter to us actually, you know, moving one off uh, machines. A lot of other freight forwarders would look at that one shipment and think that is a project, but we don't actually call that a project because it's what we do every day. So all of our operators, the whole operations team that Chloe heads up, um, they're moving singular machines like that, you know, day in, day out. So we've got a number of um, shipping methods that we use to move cargo that is large. Um, For individual units, we'd probably be looking at a liner service, which means simply that it is a shipping service that's going, it's in rotation. Um, They're calling those ports, uh, you know, maybe they might have a route that goes for a month long and it's going from Brisbane up to Shanghai and then on from there. 
Um, so the individual solo machines, they'd get booked on a service like that. Um, and then obviously I mentioned projects before that would be if we had about 10 of those machines looking to move. And that's when we can move into the space of actually hiring out a whole vessel to pick up that package. And with then we've got more control over how long it's going to take to get there, when the vessel's going to call each port, um, where the cargo is going to get stowed, whether it's under deck or on deck. Um, so yeah, for individual cargo movements, we'll be looking at either a Roro vessel, um, which is a roll-on, roll-off vessel, which means simply that it's like a car carrier, um, or a low-low vessel, which is one that's fitted with cranes that can lift it on or off. Kira, I bet you are an absolute expert in spreadsheets because this sounds like a, a huge spreadsheet material and a big database of just a lot of data that's got to go in from from knowing when you first get that order to client delivery. There'd be so much that goes into that, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And you know, uh, being a freight forwarder we're kind of a specialist in many things um but we're not experts in everything so any kind of skills that we need to outsource you know if I need a marine surveyor I'll outsource that skill I haven't gone to college to be a marine surveyor but I understand what their function is you know and where that comes into play so it's kind of definitely more of a project manager's type of what we're doing and the roles that we're doing it's managing everything making sure that all the skill sets that we need to move something from one point to the other in the room and we can get it done safely and you know to customer specifications so you're almost like a bit of that that agent sort of material where you can get from the the pilot vehicles all the way through to you know those those heavy moving companies and and have that relationship with those sorts of people along the way sounds pretty interesting so we we talk about the big stuff being you know an excavator for instance is is one that can just go straight on straight off but do you deal with smaller parts are you a bit more of that sort of uh you know an axle all the way down to that sort of material or is it there a bit of a breadth yeah, our customers range from, you know, the guys that are moving the whole machine down to the guys that provide all the consumables and the, the wear parts for those machines. Um, and we value each one of those accounts uh, equally. You know, the um, customers that are moving the little stuff, they're as important to our business as the ones that are moving the big stuff. I know you've spoken a bit about shipping and in particular, you know, using big ships. Uh, but what about the, the air and the, the land freight services as well? Is there a way that that sort of interacts or dovetails into the business unit? Yeah, Chloe? Um, I think you've got me on mute. Sorry, sorry, Chloe. I'll uh, unmute uh, you. Yeah, that's um, that definitely does happen. So um, we send a lot of cargo via air freight all around the world, um, cross trade as well. So we deal with shipments that um, don't even touch Australia as well. Um, so it really depends on the urgency um, and also um, what our client needs. Like sometimes we can have a massive engine that's super super urgent would well put it on a ship but because it's so urgent they'll pay three four times the amount because it's um, stopping a machine from working in some mine somewhere in Australia that's costing them thousands and thousands of dollars per day so um, we really have to think on our toes here and we really have to look outside of the box and look at the options for our clients because um, there's only certain types of cargo that you can ship on say a passenger aircraft so there's limitations to that as well so we have to look at commercial um, freighter options which is cargo freight only on aircraft um, where we are able to um, move larger types of cargo so there's quite a large demand for that and, and given the current market as well it's um, even higher, um, but we um, we definitely get involved in a lot of that sort of thing, um, as well as a lot of the smaller parts. Like we'll ship 
um, shipments that are under 100 kilos. It's, it, and those parts might be just as important as the part that's, um, you know, five tonne that we're shipping on a um, commercial freighter. So it really just depends on what our client needs. But um, to um, go on from what Kira was saying, those um, shipments are just as important as the large charters that we do as well as the um, the daily machinery moves that we do all around the world. And now, Chloe, what's your day like? Are you up early dealing with the remnants of what's happened in a different time zone from from them as they yes. wind down, <laughs> and then the next minute you, you're starting to ramp up for Australia, and then as Australia winds down at say the four or five o'clock, you start to get a swag of emails from people who just want to touch base and find out a bit more about where they where they so are. So part of um, the career as a freight forwarder is it's a twenty four seven job and um, as an operator, um, you will soon learn that you have to be available 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week. And, to, and, and if you want to excel in a career in our industry, you have to be there. So, um, you know, you've got Europe that comes online at night. So that probably starts kicking off at around seven o'clock. And then you have the mornings as well with the US. So um, to be successful, you have to be available and you have to be ready um, and be checking your emails all the way up to you going um, to bed at night and checking your emails as you wake up in the morning. And I think um, for CMX, we're quite lucky here with the team that we do have um, a lot of committed staff here um, that do those sorts of things, which allows us to get back to our clients quickly and give them the answers that they need to make decisions or um, further the conversation to get the best result in a quick um, quick time frame. So, um, yeah, that's definitely part of the job, but it's um, it's no big deal. Um, I've been doing it since I can remember, as has Kira. So it's just part and parcel of the of the career we've chosen. And some of those industries, and I suppose some of the commodities that you move around. I know we, we've spoken to Kira just a couple of moments ago uh, about mining equipment and as such. But uh, what about some of those other pieces of equipment that you might move around? Some of those other commodities. Uh, do, you, do you want to give us just okay. a bit more yep. detail on that? So um, probably over the last 18 months, um, CMX as a group have decided to really push for diversification. So we work in other industries like uh, construction, um, modular, um, automotive um, and IT as well. So um, that helps us prop our business up in a way, um, you know, if, if the mining sector is down or we're seeing a downfall in that movement of machinery. And that can always happen not only through... Um, you know, mines being slow or not not having a lot of projects going on, but also the exchange rate at the time. That really affects Australia and their buying power and, and what it costs to import machinery into Australia from around the world. So um, we touch on a lot of different industries um, and we're working at building that uh, every day now. It's very important to us um, and we, um, we're doing well in that so far. And are there peak periods when people want to move a lot? Uh, I suppose, you know, talking before, when, a, when an engine goes down and you want to get that happening, that's almost probably an ad hoc basis. But, uh, you know, yes. the lead up to the Christmases or the Easter's in a general normal environment, because we'll talk about the COVID-19 in just a couple of minutes, but in a yep. general normal environment, do you have peaks and troughs? Oh, we do. Um, I would say probably everything's probably slow around that January to February mark, and then it peaks March is usually a, a peak um, in, in our industry and then it kind of goes through and goes higher throughout the year. And then we see that downturn around the Christmas time, like in the few weeks leading up to Christmas, we'll have the smaller parts come through, but generally um, everyone's closing down in those bigger companies. So once they go home, you know, there's not much happening. So we, will, we still do see a steady flow of work come through those periods, 
And we have over the years actually seen that increase as well. Um, but um, I would say from March onwards, we really see that increase in work because everyone's back in, into work, into the groove and ready to go for the next year. And production is back and into, everyone's into the full swing. Yep. Now, Kira, we'll go back yep. to you to talk about COVID-19 uh, and where that sits on the, the market at the moment because uh, no doubt that is presenting a very interesting time to be moving freight around and there could be some restrictions. So just tell us about how CMX Global are, are tackling things at the moment. Yeah, there is definitely some restrictions in some parts of the industry, increasing levels of frustration, mainly to do with air freight, um, which I don't think you even need to be in this industry to kind of guess. You can't go and book a commercial flight from, you know, here to Europe at the moment. So it's no different for, for freight. Um, a lot of the freight for aircrafts get loaded in the bottom hole where your baggage goes. Um, and that's how it's easy to move stuff around day to day. What we're seeing is less commercial flights happening. So that means that the freight is getting left, you know, in China or left in Europe and they're having to wait to have enough freight to consolidate to actually put a freight freighter aircraft on, which they're quite expensive to run. Um, and it generally for an air freight, like a piece of cargo, it wouldn't be your first option as a, somebody looking to move it because you're going to pay triple what you would usually pay to put on a commercial flight um then there we are seeing also increasing in pricing again because people are obviously air, airlines are hurting at the moment so they're looking to make profits where they can so what they're doing is they're increasing the cost to, to ship something um in the hope that it'll kind of compensate where they're losing out on passengers flying um, so definitely air freight is uh, in more and more increasingly difficult at the moment. Sea freight, we really haven't seen any impact other than we're, we're preempting that there is going to be a decrease in the frequencies of those liner services. Um, that happens whenever there's a drop off of cargo being moved around the world. Um, so we've seen it in the past and it could be as simple as when the Aussie dollar drops, we see less cargo moving into Australia. So the shipping lines out of reaction, they'll put, Instead of having four vessels running from the US to Australia each month, they'll drop back down to two. That's cost-saving measures for them. It's it's common sense. It doesn't really affect our customers because well, the only way that it does affect them is that instead of having the choice of four vessels in one month, they'll only have a choice of out of the two. So they'll still get to move their cargo. The sailing time's still the same. Um, it's just what, having to wait a little bit longer to get on a vessel. Are you seeing any? Seeing there. Are you seeing any changes in fuel as well? Obviously, the price of oil's dropped, and there's probably been a little bit of a flow on from that. Has there been that sort of pass on through the transport industry yet? Not yet. Usually it, the reaction is a little bit slower. Um, we will see it and the shipping lines and transport guys, they do adjust their fuel that we call it bunkers with shipping um, bunkers. The shipping lines change that quarterly. Generally the transport guys change their fuel surcharge monthly. So we'll definitely see it kind of roll into the road freight um, impacting road freight first. And then we'll probably see the shipping lines decrease a little bit um, June, July, which is when they'll be set to change it next. Um, so yeah, it'll be a bit slow coming to see a little bit of savings there, but it could change between now and then, sure. especially for shipping. Just feels like it's an ever changing beast at the moment, doesn't it? I suppose yeah. that's just for every industry too. It definitely is. Road freight, um, it's difficult to move things around the country at the moment, especially the big gear, uh, little stuff, uh, you know, is a lot easier to move. The big gear is not really seen as being essential at the moment so it's not getting priority on the roads yep. especially when you're competing against trucks trying to get across the border with food and supplies that are desperately needed so um 
yeah, we've got shipping services available that go coastally. So that's what we're seeing more of a trend of demand for at the moment. So people are putting it on the freight. people are putting it on the on the ship to get around the other side of the country. Wow. Yeah. Who would have thought we'd have gone back to the 1700s? Um, but it's just an amazing sort of set of circumstances that we've got worldwide, and, and no doubt that covers off a lot of industries as well. Hey, thank you very much to you, Kira, and also to you, Chloe, for having a chat to us from CMX Global. Now, I know uh, Grant's the big man, and he's uh, off doing different things at the moment uh, all across the place, but uh, you guys have done an amazing job to have a quick chat to us today just to bring us up to speed on, on what CMX Global are about and just a bit of a look at world logistics. So thanks very much for your time and being part of our podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cool. No worries. That's it. That's done. Was there anything else that you needed to add or you wanted to add or? 